I have a name for you. Tell me if you recognize this name. Juan Tripp. Anyone? Anyone? Well, you may not. Am I echoing? If I am, would you cut that out? Yeah. You may not recognize the name, but there's a good chance that he has impacted your life. See, Juan Tripp is known as the greatest CEO in airline history. Yeah, it was him who uh, uh, began, formed, and grew the probably the, the, the most famous and the flagship U.S. airline carrier, Pan Am. You remember Pan Am? Uh, from from post-World War II up into the early 70s. Pan Am was the pride of the U.S. And as the CEO of Pan American Airlines, Juan Tripp uh, oversaw this company's growth into international travel. And get this, it was at his request that Boeing, his friend at Boeing, created the 747. Ever been on the 747? So you've been impacted by this man, the greatest CEO uh, in airline history. Uh, He worked until he was 81 years old. After uh, leaving his post, he still attended the board of directors, was part of the board of directors all the way till his like 80th birthday. Then he suffered a a, a stroke and he had to retire. He died shortly thereafter. In 1985, President Reagan awarded him the U.S. Medal of Freedom. He was a great man, a great man, and like I said, worked till his almost 81. After his death, someone took over his position as CEO of Pan American Airlines. His name was William Sewell. How do you think things went for him? Well, let me summarize it for you. He was fired only a year later after a string of very poor decisions which eventually led to Pan American Airlines filing for bankruptcy less than a decade later. And today, obviously, it doesn't exist anymore. It is tough to follow in the footsteps of a successful leader. Amen? Let me give you another name. This one is for Hassani. Alex Ferguson. Does anybody know the name Alex Ferguson? I don't expect you to unless you're British, because he's actually known as Sir Alex Ferguson. He was knighted by the Queen. That's right, he's a knight. But his real job is a football coach. He is coach, or was coach, of Manchester United, sort of the the flagship soccer team of, 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 of England. He coached the Manchester United team for 27 years. That's a long time for a coach, 27 years. During those 27 years, like I said, his successes were wild. He won UEFA, World, UEFA Cup Championships, uh, FA Cup Championships, FIFA World Club Cup Championships, Coach of the Year. In fact, he was so successful that outside of Old Trafford, which is a stadium where Manchester United plays soccer, there's a statue, a bronze statue of Sir Alex Ferguson. In 2013, he retired. The name of the person who followed him as coach is David Moyes. Hassani, any words on David Moyes? Oh. (laughs) David Moyes, who succeeded Sir Alex Ferguson, was fired after 10 months on the job 
and replaced by a player as coach. They wanted to get rid of him so fast, they asked a player to be coach in his stead. Didn't last the whole year. It is very difficult to follow in the footsteps of a successful Hall of Fame type leader. But you don't have to remember these strange names. You could probably, these names might ring a bell. Does anybody know who Rudy Tomjanovich is or Mike Brown? Somebody here knows. If you're familiar with American basketball, the NBA, you'll recognize those names. And they have the very distinct commonality, these two. They just happen to follow in the footsteps of Phil Jackson, the winningest coach in NBA history. Both uh, Tom Janovich and Mike Brown coached the Lakers right after Phil Jackson, the famous Phil Jackson's 111, what's called world titles. And Rudy Tomjanovich lasted half a year before he quit. Mike Brown was fired after five games in the second season because they just couldn't wait to get rid of him. It is very tough to follow in the footsteps of a successful leader. It's, it's quite a daunting task. I have one last name for you. Andrew Johnson. Does that name ring a bell? Andrew Johnson. Anyone? Andrew Johnson is an American president. That's right. If, if, uh, if Jason was here, he would tell me exactly who he was. Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson became president when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. You know Abraham Lincoln, four score and seven years ago, Emancipation Proclamation. You know who he is, the top hat and the long beard. I cannot tell a lie, all these famous things. Well, when he died, Andrew Johnson became president. This is his distinction. Andrew Johnson is known as the first president ever to be impeached. The first American president to be impeached. In fact, the House of Representatives impeached him, and the Senate would have removed him from office except for one vote that saved him. One vote. He is generally considered among the worst of American presidents. Can you imagine following in the footsteps of Abraham Lincoln or Sir Alex Ferguson or Phil Jackson or Juan Tripp, the greatest uh, airline CEO? It's a very tough position to be in to follow after the greatest, the best, quite possibly. So let me read you the summary of this next leader, okay? And see if you want to follow in his footsteps. This is how he is described. He is known as the greatest prophet ever. In fact, no prophet has ever risen who knew God face to face like he did. And who did all the miraculous signs and wonders that he did. In fact, no one has ever shown the mighty power or perform the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. But Moses died, and somebody had to take his place. Do you know what his name is? It's Joshua. Joshua was asked to follow in the footsteps of the greatest prophet in the history of the Bible. How would you like that job? Open your Bibles, if you would, to Joshua chapter 1. As we look at a tale of two promises, 
By the way, this is just an invitation for you to journey with us. We're going to be looking at one promise today and one promise next Saturday. So I invite you to come back and join us for, this, for the continuation of this story. In Joshua chapter 1, the Bible tells us that after the death of Moses, chapter 1, there's a Bible in the pew right in front of you, verse 1, chapter 1, the book of Joshua, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, God spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites, and I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river to the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, and to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a great promise, which we'll unpack in just a moment. But what I want you to do for just a brief second is put yourself in Joshua's shoes. And maybe it's not that much of a stretch for some of you. Maybe you've had to follow in the footsteps of somebody great. Perhaps at work, you replaced somebody who who retired or moved on and you had to step into that role. Perhaps at home, Maybe somebody had a significant position. Maybe your dad or your mom, matriarch of the family, and now they they moved on and it's, it's up to you. Maybe in your church, in some ministry, when somebody who's done a great job needs to maybe relocate or go somewhere else, and then you are called to step in and take over. You probably understand, but for just if you don't, try to picture yourself and put yourself in Joshua's position. The last verses of the book of Deuteronomy, just before the ones we just read, that's where Moses is described as the greatest prophet on the face of the earth. The Bible says no one has ever seen God face to face except Moses. And no one has shown the mighty power and shown the deeds of Moses. I mean, yes, when you think about great Bible characters, there are a few people who stand out. There is Father Abraham, right? But he just had many sons. Everybody knows that, right? There's Joseph who had the fancy coat and stuff, but, but the people ended up in captivity. There's Isaac who ran away. I mean, there's all this, these stories about great, amazing people who do particular things. But Moses, I mean, Moses did it all, right? He is responsible for delivering God's people out of Egypt. You remember. Moses is the one who, had a, who was actually born uh, to royalty, rescued from the river. You've seen the VeggieTales version, I'm sure. Moses is the one who grew up in Pharaoh's household, was destined to be the next Pharaoh and somehow work God's miracles, but he ran away, spent time in the desert, and God called him back. You remember the burning bush? You remember these stories, right, from when you were a kid somewhere? The burning bush, God revealed himself to Moses time and time again. God gave Moses the special uh, uh, rod or stick, whatever you want to call it. Whenever we, my, my, my brothers and I would go, uh, uh, you know, playing in the outdoors like all boys do, we pick up sticks, right? All boys do, even my son, anywhere he is, oh, stick. I don't know why girls don't pick up sticks, but boys do, Stick. And then we start doing things with it. Because we all sort of, maybe, maybe it just gets passed down to us. We all sort of 
somewhere deep down inside believe like, if I have a stick in my hand, I could be like Moses, right? With, with, with a stick, he can make it into a serpent. With this stick, he can touch waters and turn them into blood. With this stick, he can look down at the, and, and the, and the Red Sea. Part. I mean, that's just, I think that's why we carry sticks. Let's just be honest. Boys with our sticks. Uh, uh, that's Moses. Moses did all this stuff. The Bible tells us that Moses was in the presence of God. And, 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 and Moses, even though he was reluctant at first, led his people out of Israel. I was telling this morning that you guys are probably seeing the movies. Depending on where you are in life, Moses is either, you know, an animated character or Charlton Heston. Right? It's one or the other. But you've seen the movie. You know all about Moses. His life is movie worthy. But can you imagine following in his footsteps? Can you imagine taking up the post after him? It'd be a little scary, right? It's like Andrew Johnson following Abraham Lincoln. Somebody who has brought freedom and a new nation, helped birth a new nation. And, and the Bible tells us that God had given Moses a specific task. You were going to take people, my people, whom I have raised and created for myself, and you're going to take them out of Egypt, and you are going to take them where? Anybody? Not Las Vegas, no, but no. It's close. Yeah, the promised land. The promised land. God said to Moses, you are going to deliver my people out of the hand of Pharaoh and you are going to lead them to the promised land. And he made these enormous promises to Moses that he was going to use his leadership to bless his people with this land flowing in milk and honey. I love that phrase, milk and honey, abundant. And so Moses spent the better part of his adult life and his older life leading these people and seeing God delivered time and time again. I don't have to say the story because, I, again, you saw the movie. But under Moses' watch, get this, food rained down from heaven. Like, who, who has ever done that? Right? Manna. I mean, can you make manna come? Have you seen anyone do that? I heard anyone? Under Moses, water comes out from rocks. Under Moses, like, like the people are led by a pillar of fire during the night and a cloud of cover over the day. Under Moses, when people get bit by snakes, they look at his stick and they're, it's amazing. He has, he has all the stories in the book. Except the one thing he's unable to do is actually lead his people into the promised land. There's that one snag in the story. I don't really talk about it too much in a movie. You know, we just focus on all the good things that he does. But near the end of his movie, if you will, he, in fact, he led the people straight across to the promised land. But when they got there, they were, the Bible says, rebellious and, and, and wouldn't follow. So then Moses had to take these people. Oh, okay, let's turn around and spin around in the desert for how many years? That's right, good old number, 40 years. They had to spin around in the desert. But near the end of Deuteronomy, they come right back and they are now ready with one exception. God speaks to Moses and he says, because you, my people, have been rebellious and you as a leader have also been rebellious, none of your generation get to cross the river. So the book of Deuteronomy, which precedes Joshua's verses that we spread right here, is Moses sort of taking stock of his life. And if you get to read Deuteronomy, it's a long book, but it's essentially Moses kind of reliving his entire life in ministry and, and, and thinking about all the things that they've experienced. Can you imagine? Moses is like, yeah, I remember that time we, we walked through the sea and we could touch the water. You guys remember that time? 
Do you remember that time when I went up into the mountain and I saw God face to face? You guys remember that time? And I came back down with these two big pieces of rock that God had written on. By, you guys remember that time when I came down? Remember that time? Do you remember that time I did this? Remember the time I did? Remember that? Moses was in all of that. So he's remembering that in Deuteronomy with one exception. He just can't get across the river. You know, that's pretty frustrating as a leader, right? To get to the edge of something, but you just can't get over. You just can't get over. So they're camped, the Bible tells us, they're camped on this side of the Jordan River, and just on the other side is the promised land. They can kind of see it. In fact, Moses asks God, take me up somewhere high so I can see it. And God does. God takes him up to this mountain. So Moses sees the promised land, but God says, you see it? He's like, yeah, let me go in. God says, "Uh uh-uh. You can see it, but you're not going over. God tells Moses, you are my servant. But this, this particular blessing will be saved for someone else. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and chapter 3, God already told Moses, Joshua is going to do what you were supposed to do, but didn't. Moses learns early on who's going to take over for him. He is what we call in Deuteronomy a lame duck, right? Knowing who's going to succeed you before you're out of office. And God tasks Moses with blessing, nurturing, and encouraging Joshua. In fact, Joshua had been Moses' aide, personal assistant, modern speak, personal assistant since he was young. He had been helping Moses, assisting Moses, and over time, Joshua grew in position and stature. He became a commander of armies. When, when, the, when the people needed to go into battle, uh, Moses would speak to Joshua and say, Joshua, get the men ready, position yourselves here. He had gone and led in the battle. Uh, Joshua was there with Moses, helping him do everything that was necessary to lead his people. And when Moses was about to conquer cities, you remember this, uh, Moses said, I need to send some strong men spies to see which route we should take. And he sent one from each tribe. Joshua was one of them. And when the spies came back, remember that story? I know the Sabbath school teachers, do you remember that story? The spies came back, 10 were like afraid, the people are too tall, the people are too big. But Joshua said, no, we can do this. So Joshua was Moses' leader in training, leader in waiting, the next person up. But it's one thing to sort of think about what will happen in the future. It's one thing to be told you're going to be next up. It's one thing to say you're going to take over this company when I retire. It's one thing to say, you know, you're going to get this promotion uh, next but it's a very different thing to actually do it. Do you know what I mean? Does anybody know what I mean? I know what I mean. I'll be honest with you. For many years, I served as an associate pastor in a church, and one day, there was no one else left, and it was, it was my turn. But it's very different to sort of support someone else's vision and kind of live under that. It's a very different thing when you're in charge. It's a very different thing when the weight all lands on, when the buck stops with you. It's very different. Because see, when, when it isn't you, it's much easier to say, well, you know, I did what you said, but it wasn't my idea, right? You've heard that one before, right? Hey, we tried, but you know, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. It's your call. You're in charge. You're the boss. It's a very different thing when success or failure is kind of riding on your decision making. Worse if you have to follow someone who has had enormous success. So take my word for it because, listen, let's be honest. 
there was a Moses that was standing in front of this, you guys, for a number of years. A pastor Julio is like the epitome of a pastor. The man is a man of God, fantastic. To stand in his place and in his, and in his shoes is something that I cannot do. That's what's going on with Joshua here. He's known he was going to be up next, but now God says to Joshua, it's time. Look at this. After the death of Moses, God speaks to Joshua, and he says, Joshua, Moses is dead, to state the obvious. In fact, he's been dying for the whole book of Deuteronomy. It's true. And the whole book of Deuteronomy, he's been preparing, preparing, and he's kind of laying out his last blessings. He's doing all this. The whole book of Deuteronomy is like one giant funeral. And then at the very end, he goes up into the mountain and he dies. And the people mourn for 30 days. And then God comes to Joshua and says, okay, look, Moses is dead. I'm not making this up. Look, he says, my Moses, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then. Right? He says, okay then. That happened. He's dead. We mourned him. Okay, good. Now let's get on with it. God says, look, get these people ready. We're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. It's amazing. And he says this. I'm about to give them the land. Verse 3, and I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. God is making a promise. Promise one. God is making a promise to Joshua. He's saying, get ready. Moses is gone. His time, his ministry, that's all done. Now it's you. Get yourself ready because I'm about to do something for you. And here's what I'm going to do. I will give you every place where you set your foot on as I promised Moses. This is important. Think about it. God is saying, you know how Moses made things open up and water and food? You know all the things that Moses did? God says, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. God says, your territory, verse 4, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. He's pretty much saying, as far as your eye can see, I'm giving you all that. He's saying your influence is going to extend. This is amazing. Further and wider than the greatest prophet on the face of the earth has able to accomplish. Think about that for just a second. Let that soak in. Then he says, verse 5, and no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Woo. I mean, wouldn't you want a little bit of that for yourself? I know I do, right? Can you imagine walking into the boardroom of your work, your place, and saying, this is my idea, I think this is what we should do, and everybody said, yes, we agree. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going into your church, your ministry in some place and saying, God has called me, he has given me this task, this is what we're going to do. And all the church people said, amen, pastor, that's exactly what we're going to do. Can you imagine that? It's like a pipe dream. Right? <laughs> that ain't going to happen. But that's exactly what God is promising Joshua. Look at it. He says, I will give you every place you step your foot in, and no one will oppose you, not just right now, but all the days of your life. It's a promise. It's a big promise. God makes it to Joshua. And then a few more words. God says, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Man, just think about everything that we just described Moses. All the things that he did. And God says, in the same way I was with him, I will be with you. Wouldn't you want some of that? Wouldn't you want some of that? That God would be with you and me like he was with Moses? 
that you and I can go into the Red Sea of our lives and part things, that you and I can call upon the power of God on our own situations, on our own challenges, that you and I can conquer lands that God has promised to give to us? Wow, right? God tells Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are important words. They're not just willy-nilly. And you know how I know they're important words? Because he's been saying this over and over since the beginning of Deuteronomy, even before. In fact, in, in, in Deuteronomy 3, God tells Joshua, uh, through the words of Moses, he says, you're going to go into some battles, but don't worry. God will fight the fight for you. That's chapter 3, book of Deuteronomy 28. God tells Joshua, you will lead your people. 37, God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous because you must go with these people. God goes before you. God will be with you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. So don't be discouraged and do not be afraid. And he repeats this over and over again until we get to this moment. It's like God has been sowing these words in Joshua's life long before he actually needs to act on them in this capacity. I need you to understand what that means for you. That means that God has been speaking words over your life, you, your children. God has been telling you something about yourself like he has for Joshua long before you will actually require it. You know why? Because God has always known you because he made you. God has always had a purpose for you to fulfill and he has been building you for that purpose. He was doing that with Joshua all along, speaking these words into his life. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Sometimes when people tell me, don't worry, don't be afraid, don't worry about that, I really start to worry, right? I, I oftentimes I have people, this is a true story, people will come to me and say, Pastor, don't worry about people are saying, you know, it's no big deal, just ignore what they're saying. And I go, what are they saying? I, I didn't hear anything, but now I'm worried, Right? When people say, don't worry, you know, be courageous, then you start to wonder, why, what's going to happen? And I, I like to think that maybe God has given him a clue here in, in Deuteronomy 37 where he says, Joshua, be strong and courageous because you must go with these people. It's like, you're going to have to do this. And you're going to need strength and courage. And in Joshua chapter 1, God repeats it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is important because when you get ready to do something that God has planned for your life, you are going to be left abandoned by a lot of people close to you. When you step out to do something that God has purposed for you to do, there's a lot of people right around you who are going to step back and away from you. This is the honest truth. And you need to know that. When you step into God's purposes, a lot of your family members will abandon you because they don't want to follow God's purposes or affirm that you are. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And what forsaking is, is not just abandoning you physically in presence, but forgetting who you are and what he made you for. And God says, that's never going to happen. My friends, at no point in your life has God walked away from your life and said, Milton? Milton who? Yeah. He's out of my plans. That's never going to happen. That's never going to happen for me, and it's never going to happen for you because the same promise that God is making to Joshua is the same promise God has made to you. You, know, you want to know how I know that? Because Jesus said it himself. 
Jesus told us through the disciples in the Gospels, in the book of Matthew, the very same promise. Jesus says, go into all the world. All of you who are Christians, who believe in the Christian commission and we are stepping forward under Christ's command, Jesus says, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, I'm gonna ask the Father and the Father will send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will be with you always. The Holy Spirit will be with you. This is by Jesus' definition and Paul affirms the Holy Spirit will be with you even when you don't want him with you because God cannot go back on his word and on his promise. Did you get that? So God is looking at Joshua and he's using these careful words because it's the same words that's gonna utter over your life and my life. I will never leave you. I will never forget about you. I will be with you all the days of your life. But now then, you must go. God has this tremendous promise. And, and I've been thinking, I've been thinking like, what did Joshua do to deserve it and get this? I mean, I don't know. If I was Joshua, on the one hand, I'd be like, wow, this is amazing, God. You know, I, I don't deserve this. On the other hand, I'd be kind of saying, could you pick somebody else? Because like I said, look, Andrew Johnson, uh, uh, you know, it's hard to follow in the footsteps of a successful leader, Right? No matter God's big words here, even in the face of God's promises, you and I, we're not sure if God will be true to his word. And there's clear evidence that people often fail when they're following somebody who's done a great job at something. And maybe that's why God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. You will do this and I will be with you. My friends, in your life and in my life, God has, over time, over the course of your life, been planting seeds of purpose. And he is today offering the promise that will unlock that purpose for your life. And it has to do with believing what God says about you instead of what you think about yourself. It has to do with believing the promise God has spoken over your life instead of the complaints and the concerns of the people you are called to bless. That's the truth. Very easily, Joshua could have said, God, why would you give me these people? If they didn't follow Moses across the river, what makes you think they're gonna follow me? You know what's worse? Before he dies, this is what Moses says. Moses calls the people together. This is chapter 31 at the very end of Deuteronomy. He calls the people together, and I'm closing, so don't get worried. Uh, God calls the people together and he brings up Joshua and he says, Joshua will be your next leader. He says it out, which is good. But then he looks at the people and he says, you guys, you better remember everything that I taught you and curses on you if you don't. This is, this is Moses' exact words. He says, I know how rebellious you are. This is chapter 31, verse 27. Moses says to the Israelites, I know how rebellious you are. I know how rebellious you've been when I am alive in my own face. He says, how much worse will you be when I die? Then he says, look at this, after I'm dead, you are sure to become corrupt and disaster will fall on you. Moses says that. He's a prophet. He's saying it's going to get worse after I die and you guys are going to make a mess of it. But Joshua's up next. <laughs> right? And Joshua could have said, thank you, God, but no thanks, which is what many of us do. In our homes, 
in our friendships, in our relationships, when things are broken and they need someone to come and help, and God says, you're up next, and you're like, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you, listen, sometimes you are called to redeem the life of someone close to you, someone broken by somebody else. I, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you men are called to reclaim the role of fatherhood in men and the women that are sitting around you and in your household that someone else has broken or someone has unsuccessfully attempted. And you and I say, yeah, no thanks, God. But God says, I will be with you. And some of us have been called to lead ministries, even in this very church. And God says, I will be with you, and I will never, never leave you, no matter how bad it gets. So be strong and courageous. But you and I say, yeah, but I don't like people complaining. So I'm going to just step back, God. Pick somebody else. Yeah, I don't think I can do as good a job as Moses, God. So, I mean, obviously, he's the greatest ever. So since I can't live up to his hype and fame, I'm just going to step aside. Let somebody else try and fail but that's why God says be strong and courageous because I will never leave you or forsake you my friends you and I have a calling from God it may not be to lead a ministry or to lead a nation or take people into battle but it is a clear and compelling call from God to do the very thing he purposed for you to do it might be right in your household repairing the relationship with your significant other It might be here at church. I don't know, but you do. You know why? Because God has been speaking these words over your life over and over and over again. And you know what God is doing now? He's saying, now then, now then, let's get ready to do the very thing I made you for. And I will never leave you. And I will never forget about you. And I will be with you. And wherever you set your foot on, you will conquer that. And no opposition will hold true against you. It isn't that they're going to try. It's just that you won't, def- you won't be defeated by that because you are walking in my grace and in my power. God speaks those word promises to Joshua, and he does the same for you and me today.